addicted to talking in a mic. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, and welcome to a brand new season of Bruno Explains It All. You already know what time it is. Your favorite theme song is playing. But before we get to the show, let's listen to some music. <laughs> welcome back, bitches. Welcome and welcome back to everybody who supported me last year. I am Bruno. I am back with a new season, season 2023, season 23 of Bruno Explains It All. Your show where we explain and break down all of your favorite topics such as trending news, oh, different, different shit, you know? I want to thank everybody again last year who listened in. I want to wish everybody a Black History Month. Happy Black History Month. Happy Valentine's Day and happy anniversary because someone told me today that we're dropping again on Valentine's Day. I forgot we did that last year. So technically, it's our anniversary. It's our one year birthday. Apologies for everybody who felt, you know, shortened when it came to content. There are 12 episodes available. If you haven't listened to them, by all means, please do. They're funny and they're fun there some of them are fun episodes some of them are uh, uh intelligent not intelligent some of them are you know include serious topics and matters and then some of them are really silly and just off the cuff so thank you everybody for tuning in last year you might hear my birds in the background chirping i brought them back with me and they just ate and i was hoping that their bellies be full and keep them distracted but that was wishful thinking they might be singing in the background here and there so while we get that out the way this is an exciting season because i will be producing with the help of really good friends and really good techie people um even more content this year so don't worry it's gonna be more than 12 episodes and i'm gonna have a lot of guests and yeah it's gonna be really fun it's gonna be a lot of more voices friendly voices with funny stories so I'm extremely excited about that. I get to meet sometimes a lot of interesting people, whether it be at work or, you know, my extracurricular activities and stuff like that and hobbies and side jobs. And so I invited some of them to be guest host or just guest and help me break down certain things this season. So I'm really excited for you to meet them all. So this year is super exciting because we have two versions of the show. Of course, we have Bruno Explains It All, which will be available most of your um, streaming platforms and services. So you'll find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Deezer, and then a lot of other places too. You know, um, at Google Google Podcasts, we're on Google Podcasts. So you can find us on most um, major streaming services. But we're going to have a second um, version of the show if you guys listen to bruno explains it all you won't be missing much we're gonna have bruno explains it all uncut which just includes music and that's only gonna be exclusively available on spotify and anchor you're definitely gonna want a premium account on the spotify just so that you could get the full experience and be able to listen to the full songs if not you'll just be listening to like 30 second samples right so the track i opened with today um for you uncut penises 
I'm joking, listeners. Um, was welcome back because what's not more appropriate than Mesa welcome back? I said, um, this month we're gonna be celebrating Black voices in music. So definitely, all the music that I feature in any of the uncut episodes will be Black artists through all genres. I've been asking around to all my friends and family and people I love, and I've been asking and I've told them, give me one song. Only rule: it has to be a Black musician, and it could be any old or new song. But you know, give me a go-to song like what. What's on repeat? So a lot of them have submitted a lot of songs. So we're gonna make an exclusive playlist that's gonna be available. That um I think to download, you can look it up on Apple Music and I believe Spotify. So we'll get that for you by the end of the month, so you can enjoy all this music. If anybody knows me, I'm a big music head. I'm always eager to listen to new artists, listen to new stuff. I do have my favorites. I do have certain things that I lean towards more, but it really depends on my mood. If any one of you guys wanna request a particular, a specific song for the uncut episodes this month, you can always do that. Um, you can direct all feedback, topics, questions, songs, anything you want at BrunoExplainsItAll at gmail.com. I thought it'd be easier if I just had an email specifically for the show, so we created that. So guys, everybody, just write in everything to that email. I also said this year I wanna I wanna give something, pay it forward, things that I've picked up along my journey, my 36 year old journey in counting, right? And I feel like this is a really cute idea and segment. It's gonna be called Word of the Day, and every episode I'm gonna give you guys a word of the day, and maybe we can try to use it in a sentence within our lives. I feel like we're gonna do something with the letter A. This is the first term, and it goes great with the occasion. It's Valentine's Day, so again, happy Valentine's Day, and I wish you all great ABC sex. I wish you more than just ABC sex. Guys, the word or term of the days is ABC sex, and it means sex only on anniversaries, birthdays, and Christmas. I'm gonna use it in a sentence real quick. They've been married so long, they only have ABC sex. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Today, if you haven't noticed with the title, um, it's about titles pretty self-explanatory it is about the valentine's day massacre right for those of you who never heard it is a very historical and infamous day in history chicago history right and i thought why not right we got two episodes dropping today and why not break down and share the story of the Valentine's Day Massacre? I hear everybody enjoys a good story time, and I felt why not on the day of love tell everybody about the gruesome murders in Chicago. So I want you to picture it, kitties. Chicago, February 14, 1929. It was a cold day. Flurries in the sky from the snowfall the day before. Some remember about four inches on the ground. Many movies have been made and dozens of books have been written about the events of this day in history. See, when most people think about February 14, they think about baby Cupid. They think of the Hallmark holiday, right? Chocolates, expensive gifting, late night rendezvous, ABC sex. But if you're into mob crimes and war, 
horror stories, then you may or may not be familiar with the story about the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Before we jump into the story, I do want to say again thank you for tuning in to today's episode. I hope you, for those of you who's up first time, please do come back. Also, please don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the respective platform you listen to us on. Whether it be Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google, all the feedback is greatly appreciated. If you want a certain topic on the show, again, you want to send it to, to brunexplainsitall.gmail.com. And that's enough of all the formalities let's get into the story so this day in history almost everybody has placed the blame of the events on my boss al capone uh, and that's a famous name a lot i know a lot of you guys my age maybe even younger know the name alfonso gabriel capone was born on january 17 1899 he was sometimes known by the nickname scarface and was an american gangster and businessman who attained notoriety during the prohibition era and as the co-founder and boss of the chicago outfit so a lot of films have been made whether been loosely inspired by him or just based on his life so in case you guys are interested bruno explains it all has come up with the help of the internet some of the best movies of al capone number one is al capone which was released in 1959 just 12 years after his death in the 1947 event dillinger and capone was released in 1995 i was nine years old and more than likely like i wasn't watching that shit i was watching power rangers but it featured martin sheen and f murray abraham in the roles right dillinger and capone is a fictional imagining in which al capone blackmails john dillinger who doesn't die in the biograph theater shooting and is retired into pulling a mafia heist with him so they pretty much took the identities of these real men and sort of came up with their own outcome or their own resolution i guess their own events like which i think that's what pretty much blonde the that latest marilyn monroe pick did i hear that it was based on a book that was loosely based on marilyn monroe if i was correct you guys should check that out too number three the third movie is called the saint valentine's day massacre it was released in 1967 the movie chronicles the saint valentine's day massacre in a documentary drama style it shows the events leading up to the event while mixing in fictitious scenes to build out suspense and more it was widely considered a box office bomb and it only made one point seven million dollars back from a 2.5 million dollar budget yep ouch in spite of its commercial failure it's still it's still ranked as one of the best gangster films of all time number four is called the untouchables and no it's not the why i every time i think about the untouchables i think about the expendables but the untouchables it was released in 1987 i was one this one is possibly the most beloved film based on al capone the untouchables follows the side of the law as the famous elliot ness forms a team called the untouchables in order to bring down al capone at his criminal heights during the pro era. It has a star-studded cast. You got people like Kevin Costner, Sean Connery. You got fucking Robert De Niro as Al Capone. The film, it was a huge success. It grossed over $100 million off a $25 million budget. Our last film on the list is probably the best known film on the list. It, even if you aren't into violent movies, you know this movie. You guys can guess. If you said Scarface, then you are right. Scarface was released in 1983. It was three years before I was born and an 
an instant hit. It was a loose remake of the 1932 Scarface film, which was based on the 1929 novel of the same name. Scarface is considered one of the better modern gangster films. It stars Al Pacino as the young Cuban immigrant named Tony Montana, who after arriving in America becomes one of the biggest drug lords in Miami. Which does, I mean, now a lot of people are like woke, right? And they get very, it, it, isn't it very sensitive for a lot of people for um, an actor to portray like a, ra uh, like a nationality or a race or not of something that he's not? I mean, isn't Al Pacino white man? Anyway, before I continue, I do want to break down two things that I kept mentioning, right? The first thing is the prohibition era, the term. Every time I say that, I'm talking about a period of time. It was from 1920 to 1933, and it was a nationwide constitutional law in the United States that prohibited the production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcoholic beverages. It didn't end to be exact until 19, 1933. December 5th, 1933. The prohibition ended with the ratification of the 21st Amendment, which repelled the 18th Amendment. It's technically the only amendment that repelled another one. Now I want to talk about the Chicago outfit. That's the other thing that I want to break down. The Chicago outfit is an Italian-American organized crime syndicate or crime family based in Chicago, Illinois that originated in the city's south side in the early 1910s. It is part of the larger Italian-American mafia. They were also famously known as the outfit, Chicago mafia, Chicago mob, the Chicago crime family, Chicago side gang, or the organization. So they were pretty much the P. Diddy of the Italian mob. A lot of names, a lot of nicknames. The outfit rose to power in the 1920s under the control of Johnny Torrio and Al Capone. And again, most of that period is marked by the bloody gang wars for control of the distribution of this so-called legal alcohol during the prohibition. Their biggest rival was the Chicago's Northside Gang. The Northside Gang, also known as the Northside Mob, was an, was an Irish Polish American. Is it Polish or Polish? Polish. American crime organization within Chicago during the Prohibition. And again, the principal rivals to the Chicago outfit. The NSG, like many other Chicago-based Prohibition gangs, was originated from the Market Street Gang. This gang, pretty much, was a batch of pickpocketers, sneak thieves, and a whole bunch of labor sluggers working in the 42nd and 43rd wards. The gang especially distinguished itself during the newspaper circulation wars of the 1910s. So guys, the Chicago Examiner and Chicago Tribune, they had a they have a history that maybe we should get into in another episode because if not we'll be here for hours on end it was during the circulation wars that future Northside leader dean o'brien banyan would develop valuable contacts with politicians and journalists at the time he was a member of the satellite little aliens o'banion and other members of the north side would eventually be mentored by the side cracker side Oh, I'm so sorry. Side crack, safe cracker, Charlie the Ox Razor. They were legit, having obtaining connections in political parties and committing election fraud. Something that people be still doing to this day, allegedly. So, they committed election fraud, thieving, slugging, like, damn. Although O'Banion was arrested and charged with burglary in 1922, the Northside gang enjoyed considerable protection from the Chicago Police Department. He even threw them a fucking party. Like literally this huge banquet where like you had like the chief detective there, the county clerk, the public works commissioner, 
mad like powerful people were there and he had a whole bunch of democratic and republican politicians so shit was hitting up between the irish and the italian gangs obanians refused to sell portions of the north side distilleries to the south siders raised tension between the two also it didn't help that obanian would often insult the italians during meetings arranged by torio so like you guys are already enemies and you're going into these meetings to set up deals and business and truth treaties and all this extra shit and you're just going in there mad reckless all the time to top it off the men secretly hijacked the south side beer shipments and sold them back to their owners yep like obanian like you dad gully like who does that steals something and then sells it back to the original owners so picture this 1924 now Chicago police assisted the Northside gang in robbing a distillery, which had been under federal guard since the beginning of the prohibition. They were escorted by police lieutenant Michael Grady and four detective sergeants, and the Northsiders looted the place in broad daylight, taking 1750 barrels, 1750 barrels of bonded whiskey worth approximately a hundred thousand dollars. Grady and the other police officers were later indicted for the crime but were quickly dismissed. Yup smells like shit in early 1924 one man was able to broker a truce between the north and south side gangs this man was none other than michelle merlot marlo is it marlo merlo merlo mike merlo wielded considerable influence influence both in chicago's democratic party politics and also within chicago's criminal underworld during the early years of the prohibition although he was able to maintain peace amongst the city's numerous bootlegging gangs gangs his death marked the beginning of chicago's bootleg wars that plagued the city for the rest of the decade i mean i feel merlo's death and obanian's antics between my opinion was the seal of his eventual murder merlo died of cancer in november on November was it November November 1924 Dean was on something else you can say he kept his foot firmly on another gang members neck over a debt see the north and south sides gang had co-owned a casino through that truce Merlo helped coordinate when O'Banion demanded that Angelo Ganna paid a 30,000 gambling debt from losses this demand broke an agreement allowing Angelo and the other gang members to run up debts there they had some sort of like agreement you know so they could play they could lose into the thousands of dollars and they just pay it, pay it off later on but this guy i guess because he didn't like ganna obanion just kept saying you know once he found out about this thirty thousand dollars debt he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing this is already a man known for his reckless mouth in fact it was toriel that tried to keep the peace and convince ganna to just pay his debt to avoid the issues but like they say no good deeds go unpunished it wasn't long before O'Banion crossed Toriel himself. O'Banion offered to sell him one time this this valuable property on May 1924. While Toriel was inspecting this place, the place, O'Banion arranged for the police to raid the place and arrest Toriel. After his release from custody, Toriel acceded to demands from the Ghana crime family, allies of the Chicago outfit, to finally kill O'Banion. On November 10, shortly after the death of Merlo, Frankie Yell. John Scalazzi and Albert Nelsimi reportedly entered the Schofield flower shop owned by O'Banion and shot him dead. They just shot him, literally. And they didn't even shoot him just once, guys. They, they made sure that man was dead. Two bullets struck him in the chest and another two in the throat. And then on top of that, one of the killers literally walked up to him and fired a shot in the back of his head while he was laying down on the floor. This was 
technically two days after um mike had died from cancer so this makes me believe that they already had one plan to kill dean before he died or at the very least and was entertaining the idea because damn like if they didn't have a plan already set up before merlot died of cancer they knew like oh time is um i believe you know either they had one or they worked really fast because dude is dead and two days later you're like yeah let's get rid of opinion he's gone no more truths let's get rid of him he's annoying he's been fucking with us let's kill him jaime west assumed leadership of the north side gang and immediately struck back at his rivals this led to the attempt an epic fail to kill al capone but capone wasn't even phased they shot at his vehicle and he's like, oh, really? You try to kill me? Watch me design now this armor car. Come get at me, bitches. On January 24th, shortly after the assassination and attempt on Capone had taken place, Wise, Moran, and Drukey ambushed Torrio as he returned from the shopping with his wife. Both Torrio and his chauffeur, Robert Barton, were wounded several times. As Moran was about to kill Torrio, the gun misfired. The gang members was forced to flee the scene as the police arrived. After narrowly surviving this attack, Torrio decided he wanted out. After serving time on the bootlegy charges, Torrio retired to Italy and literally passed leadership to the Chicago outfit to, Cap to Capone. Like, he had it. Like, he was done. Done fighting, done people trying to kill him all the time. So, he goes back to Italy, leaves everything to Capone. And now, Waste and the Northsiders go after the Geno brothers. First, bloody Angelo Geno was shot to death by Boran after a car chase. Next, it was Mike Geno who was shot down by police when he turned his gun on them after a shootout with the Northsiders. Then, Druki killed Amatuna and Geno family backer finally antonio the gentleman gana um was murdered although it was rumored that capone not wait west ways wise ordered this at this point the remaining gana brothers fled chicago they're like there was another one they was like yo we're gonna follow um this dude's lead he went back to fucking italy i'm we're going we're leaving so they go and everything they leave behind pretty much the northsiders and capone take over so we're now at a place where the Gana family was gone Toril had been scared out of the rackets and Capone was on the defensive Northsiders expended their business and strength and plotted another attack on Capone in the second Northside attack on Capone a fleet of Northside cars with Moraine in the lead car drove to Capone's hotel in Cicero while Capone and his bodyguard were drinking downstairs the Northsiders drove by the lobby and opened fire with their Thompson submachine guns Capone and his bodyguard was forced to take cover on the floor once the attack was over Capone sent word to the Northsiders that he wanted a truce a truce was made which inevitably began to come apart some time later Capone struck back at the Northsiders by gunning down Jaime Wise and several of his associates Drukey and Moran now assumed joint leadership of the Northside gang and the two gangs traded killings and bombings for several more months until a peace conference was finally held but again this peaceful period wouldn't last long Moran would regularly hijack Capone's beer shipments aggravating Capone Capone retaliated by burning down Moran's dog's track a few days later Capone's own dog track went up in smoke, which who's going to be the prime suspect? 
Open warfare started again between the two gangs. Moran ordered the execution of two union leaders who were powerful allies and personal friends of Capone. This act is what prompted Capone to order the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. So now it's February 14th, 1929, exactly 94 years ago. So next year is going to be the 95th. Wow. Four, four unidentified men, two of them dressed as Chicago police officers, entered a Northside Street garage and ordered six members of the Northside gang and a friend of a gang member to stand against a wall. The gunmen then pulled out machine guns and gunned them all down. The only survivor, Frank Tightlips Gussenberg, died hours later at a nearby Chicago hospital, refusing to name his attackers. However, the primary target of the gunman, Bugs Moran, who we've been talking about for the past half hour, leader of the Northside gang, was not at the garage and escaped harm. Strong circumstantial cases can be made from almost a dozen individuals as being one of the gunmen, but it remains unknown to this day exactly who those four gunmen, gunmen were. Known as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, the attack effectively left the five-year gang war between Al Capone and Bugs Moran in a stalemate. The heinous level of this crime resulted in a, in a federal crackdown on all gang activity in Chicago that eventually led to the downfall of both Moran and Capone. The perpetrators have not been conclusively identified, but former, but former members of Egan's Rats gangs working for Capone are suspected of involvement. Others have said that members of the Chicago Police Department who allegedly wanted revenge for the killing of a police officer's son played a part. All of the victims were dressed in their best clothes with the exception of John May, as it was customary of the Northsiders and other gangsters at the time. Most of the Moran gang arrived at the warehouse by approximately 10.30 a.m., but Moran was not there, having left his Parkway Hotel apartment late. He and fellow gang member Ted Newberry was approaching the rear of the warehouse from, from a side street when they saw a police car nearing the building. They immediately turned and retraced their steps, going to a nearby coffee shop. I don't fucking blame them. They encountered gang member Henry Gussenberg on the street and warned him, so he turned back too. Northside gang member Willie Marks also spotted the police car on his way to the garage and ducked into a doorway and jotted down the license number before leaving the neighborhood. Capone's lookouts likely mistook one of Moran's men, probably Albert Wainshack, who was the same height and build for Moran himself. The physical similarity between the two men was enhanced by their dress that morning. Both happened to be wearing the same color overcoat and hat. Witnesses outside the garage saw a Cadillac sedan pull up to a stop in front of a garage, right? So four men emerged, right, and walked inside, but two of them were dressed as police. The two fake police officers carried shotguns and entered the rear portion of the garage where the four members of Moran's gang and associates, Reinhard Schwimmer and John May, who was fixing one of the trucks, right? The fake policemen then ordered the men to line up against the wall. They signaled to the pair in civilian clothes had accompanied them. Two of the killers opened fire with Thompson's machine guns and one with a 20 round box magazine and the other with a 50 round drum. They were thorough too, spraying their victims left and right, even continuing continuing to fire after all seven had hit the floor. Two shotguns blasts afterwards obliviated the faces of John May and James Clark, according to the coroner's report. Like, I don't get it with these people. You kill them and then you go and then you shoot them some more. Like, to what? Make sure that they're dead? They're not feeling it. Does that give you some sort of, um, I don't know, satisfaction? So they kill these people and then to sort of make it look like everything is alright they um 
come out, the guys in the regular clothes come out with their hands up, prodded by two uniformed policemen, right? The two policemen that went in there with them, they, you know, they were pretended like they were arresting these two guys, but instead they just got in a getaway car and left. In the garage, though, one of the men did survive. And again, it was Frank, who then later on was nicknamed as Tight Lips and also known as Highball. Despite 14 bullets, he was still conscious when they got there. But then again, you know, he refused to identify the killers. And that, guys, while you enjoy the rest of your day and shuffle through the aisles for last-minute Valentine's Day gifts, that was the Valentine's Day Massacre story. I hope you all enjoyed it. If there's any other things you want to listen to, you want me to break down, by all means, again, write to brunoexplainsitall at gmail.com. I'm super excited about this season. I hope you enjoyed the other episode that drops today. It's going to be a lot. It's really wild and funny. Um, it's called One Night Only, and I do have um, a special guest on. So, guys, um, check that one out. Again, happy Valentine's Day, happy Black History Month, and happy anniversary. Bye.